Uh, please open your Bible to John chapter 9. Sorry, there's a typo in the worship guide. It's John chapter 9. That's on page 1064 if you're using the church Bible. Uh, during this Lent season leading up to Easter, preparing for Easter, we are looking at different episodes from the life of Jesus as told in uh, uh, the Gospels of Matthew and John. Notes organized here. In John 3, uh, that Pastor Burt preached on a couple weeks ago, Jesus told a Pharisee named Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And now as we come to John 9, it's a sort of lived-out parable, uh, an object lesson of what that looks like to have our eyes opened so that we can see the kingdom of God. It's a longer story but it's such a marvelously told story that we're going to read the whole thing. So give your attention to the reading of God's word. John chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. 
For the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. My family will tell you that on, uh, when I'm driving at night, one of my favorite things to do is complain about how bright LED light bulbs are. You're driving along, and then you come around the corner, and here comes this car with you know, blazing light bars all over the place, and it totally blinds you. You're getting a sunburn with this oncoming traffic. Well, the idea behind these LED lights is it makes things more visible for the person in the car. But if you're in the other car coming towards them, it makes it harder to see. And something like that, thank you, thank you, Jack. Uh, we, can, we can talk after service, we'll have a... <laughs> uh, something like that is going on here in John 9. Jesus claimed in the last chapter, John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. And here in verse 5, he repeats that claim again. I am the light of the world. But Jesus, the light of the world, he's a bit like these LED headlights. He helps some people to see, but other people are blinded by his light. There's three themes in this chapter I want to focus on this morning. Uh, Jesus doesn't flatten life, Jesus opens eyes, and Jesus' light can blind. First, Jesus doesn't flatten life. Jesus doesn't flatten life. What do I mean by that? Uh, Jesus' approach to life, his understanding of life is not reductive. He doesn't give simple, pat answers, okay? He recognizes that there's real complexity that needs to be taken seriously. We see this uh, in the first verse. The disciples kick things off by asking what caused this man's blindness, but they don't actually even notice this man at first. In verse 1, do you see it's all singular? And he, 
that is Jesus, saw, uh, passed by, and he, Jesus, saw this man blind from birth. We know from the rest of the story there's a larger group with Jesus, but apparently out of that group, Jesus is the only one who notices this man begging by the roadside. When the disciples eventually do notice the man, they simply use him as a pretext for theological discussion. In fact, they're talking about this guy like he's not even there, like, uh, you know, who sinned, this guy right here or his parents? And the guy's like, you know, I can hear you, right? I'm blind, I can still, still hear. Uh, but Jesus doesn't flatten life. He sees an individual where others simply see an issue. He sees a person where others see problems. We need to sit with this for a minute. Okay, it's easy when we see people maybe on the street or lives caught up in drugs, that sort of thing, to simply see them as an issue or a problem. But this story about a blind man being given sight and then spiritual insight begins with being seen, not seeing. The blind man doesn't call out to Jesus. He doesn't ask to be healed. It's Jesus who takes the initiative. And it's driving home a point for us. The story's about spiritual insight, seeing Jesus for who he is. And so we can say about ourselves, Jesus sees us before we ever see him. Spiritual insight begins with Jesus' loving gaze as he peers into our lives, as he looks us in the face. That's the beginning of the restoration of sight. For the disciples, this man born blind poses a problem. If suffering is caused by sin, and this man has been suffering blindness from birth, then someone must have sinned. Was it this guy in utero somehow? Or his parents? Now, it's true that much suffering is indeed caused by sin. If you abuse drugs and alcohol, it will cause your body to suffer. If you're mean-spirited in your speech, people will reject you, and you'll be lonely and suffer. Uh, sexually, sexual activity outside of mutually monogamous covenantal relationships tends to increase the risk of sexually transmitted infections, okay? Doing things not God's way does lead to suffering. And the sin of others against us also causes a lot of suffering. If a parent is abusive or neglectful, their family suffers. But there's no simple one-to-one -one correlation like the disciples assume. They say, smoke, there must be a fire. Suffering, there must be sin. But Jesus says we can't say, here is suffering, therefore someone must, be, must have sinned. What does he say in verse 3? It is not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, this is important to hear. Some of you suffer with chronic suffering or, 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 or plagued with chronic suffering or perhaps have special needs children. You're saying, God, why are you doing this to me? As if somehow I've done something wrong and you're punishing me. Now, God does use suffering to try and get our attention, Okay. Uh, if, if you're doing something that's, that's ruining your life and causing suffering, stop doing that. But Jesus doesn't flatten life down to this one-to-one -one equation. Uh, rather, he restates the whole question in terms of purpose rather than cause. The disciples say, what caused this suffering, his sin or, or his parents? Jesus doesn't answer in terms of cause, but he says it's for this purpose that the works of God might be shown in him. The disciples are focused on the human level. Jesus asks, what 
God, what might God be doing in this situation? It's an important question for each of us to ask if we're going to resist flattening out life. Again, if you know that your sinful behaviors are leading to suffering and God's trying to get your attention, stop doing those things. I don't know how to make it more clear. But if we're in the midst of suffering, pain, it's worth asking, how might God be working in this situation? How might his works be displayed in my life? Uh, think of someone like Joni Erickson Tata, who has had, at one level, profound physical suffering, uh, a paraplegic, and yet surely God's glory and work has been shown through her life and ministry. Jesus concludes his response to his disciples like this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the one who is sent by God into the world, and while he is in the world, he is the light of the world. What does that mean that he's the light of the world? Well, here's the second theme I want to focus on. Jesus opens eyes. Jesus opens eyes. After answering the disciples, Jesus spit on the ground. Uh, kids, the Greek word is actually an onomatopoeia, patuo, the sound that you make when you spit. And with this spittle, he makes mud, and then just like Samuel anointed David with oil, he anoints this man's eyes with spit mud. Uh, anyone want to sign up for this? I know people do weird things to try and get healthy, but uh, it, it's a strange thing. And then he sends him. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is a sign. Giving sight to the blind is actually the most common form of healing in all of the Gospels. But the way Jesus heals this blind man in particular is odd, to say the least. What's going on here? Uh, again, it's a sign. It's significant. In Genesis 2, we read about the creation of humans. And how does God create man in Genesis 2? He takes mud and shapes it and then breathes the breath of life into that mud and it becomes a living person. Now Jesus sees this blind man and again works with mud to restore his sight so he can literally see. And as the spirit gives new birth, the man gains spiritual insight. So the mud's a sign that new creation begins with Jesus' work. In the Old Testament, giving sight to the blind is particularly something that God does. So in uh, Exodus 4, Moses is arguing with God. He's saying, I can't be your spokesman because I stutter. And God replies to Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Likewise, Psalm 146, the Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Opening the eyes of the blind is also a sign that God's Messiah is, has come. So Isaiah 42, God speaks uh, to his, his, his messianic servant, and he says, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
Okay? When the suffering Messiah servant comes, he will be a light to the nations, he will open eyes that are blind, and he will deliver those who are in bondage. John tells this story in a particularly playful way. In verse uh, 22, the synagogue, uh, this particular synagogue, had already agreed that if anyone confesses Jesus as the Christ, which means Messiah or anointed one, they would get kicked out. Okay, now the anointed one, Christ, anoints this blind man's eyes. In verse 4, Jesus calls himself the one who is sent by God, and now he sends this blind man to wash in a pool called Sent. The sign not only points to Jesus as the anointed one sent by God, it also points to our need to recover spiritual sight. Remember John 3.3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We all need our eyes opened if we're going to see God's kingdom. So giving this blind man sight is a sign of his spiritual insight that Jesus also gives him. But that unfolds over the story. Okay, so he goes, he washes, he comes back, and his neighbors and those who had seen him begging say, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some say, yeah, it is. And others say, no, but he sure does look like that guy. And the whole time this guy's hopping up and down saying, it's me, it's me, I am that guy. And they say, well, if it is you, then how were your eyes opened? The man answers, Jesus called, uh, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash so I went and washed and received my sight. So the crowd asked, well, where is he then? The man says, I don't know. I was blind until a few minutes ago. How am I supposed to know where he's at? And at this point, uh, do you see, or, oh, it's a good question, though. Where is Jesus? After verse 7, he actually drops out of the whole narrative until verse 35. It's, it's just an interaction between this man and his community. But see, at this point, he only knows Jesus as the man called Jesus. This guy called Jesus did a thing. That's where he's at to start with. Well, a remarkable sign has clearly been done, and so the crowd wants to get the opinion of the local religious leaders. So they bring him to the Pharisees at their local synagogue, and at this point, John tells us an important detail. This had all taken place on the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees question the man, and do you see how he answers in verse 17? They say, what do you say about this man? since he's opened your eyes, and the man now says he is a prophet. He's gaining a level of insight. Then skipping down for a moment to verse 24, the Pharisees again question the man. Give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. Well, that's not really even a question. It's just leading the witness, isn't it? But he responds, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Again, they ask, what, what did he do to you then? How did he open your eyes? And now the man's response gets sarcastic. I already told you once. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And so they get upset and they insult him. You're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but we don't know where this man has come from. Well, Jesus tells his disciples up front, where does he come from? He is sent by God. Well, the man's answer in verse uh, 30 through 33, it's bold and still a bit snarky. He's sort of the patron saint of uh, sarcastic disciples. Why, this is amazing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God will listen to him. This line's interesting. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
I mean, trust me, I know. I've asked our local rabbi. I asked my parents. I've asked everyone I know. Have you ever heard of someone in my condition being healed? And they, it simply has never been done. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the Pharisees kick him out of his local synagogue, but then Jesus comes to find him. It begins with Jesus noticing him. It ends with Jesus coming to find him and asking, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, why that particular phrasing? Not do you believe in me? Do you believe in the Son of God? Why the Son of Man? In John's Gospel, the Son of Man emphasizes Jesus' identity as the one who is sent by God to reveal what God is like. So what Jesus is asking him here is he's saying, do you believe in that the anointed one who anointed you and sent you to wash is the one sent by God to reveal what God is like? And he answers, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He's saying, I, you know, I never saw. Who is it? Point him out, and I will believe in him. And Jesus says, you have seen him. At last, with your restored sight, you have seen him. And also with spiritual insight, you've seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Track back over this man's growing insight into who Jesus is. Verse 11, he's a guy named Jesus. Verse 17, he must be a prophet. Verse 38, he's from God, or 33, he is from God. Verse 38, Lord, I believe. Jesus is the light of the world who opens eyes so that we can see him for who he is. For some people, this is instantaneous. They would say, it suddenly happened, Jesus opened my eyes to see him, and I believe. For others, it can be a drawn-out process. For this man, it's a bit of a process. But the culmination is, Lord, I believe, and that belief leads to worship. Uh, this contrast between verses 34 and 35 draws us to an important aspect of this process. Confessing Jesus as the Christ leads him to be excluded from the synagogue, but it's precisely when he's ex excluded by some that Jesus finds him and includes him. Likewise for us. If you can say, Lord, I believe and worship, there will be opposition. Some of your friends and family may not be tolerant. And yet the man's exclusion leads to him finding Jesus, or rather Jesus finding him. I don't think it's over-reading this episode to hear echoes of baptism in it. The man's eyes are opened as he is washed in the pool called scent. So we're going to have a baptism this morning. Baptism is a sign that spiritual sight is restored. It's washing in the pool of the one who is sent, the pool of Christ. So Jesus can open eyes, but there's a flip side, and this is the third theme. Jesus' light can blind. Jesus' light can blind. In John 9, we see two different trajectories heading opposite directions. This man goes from just knowing Jesus as this guy called Jesus to belief, at the same time, others around him who can see with their natural eyes, their spiritual sight grows dimmer and dimmer as the story progresses. Look back at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees focus on the Sabbath. Others focus on the sign. One group says, mud on the eyes, that's work. That's work on the Sabbath. He's not from God. Problem solved. Issue over. But the others say, it may be work on the Sabbath, but it's pretty remarkable work. Hang on a second. I'm not sure we want to kick this guy out. 
So verse 16 says there's a division among the Pharisees, the leaders in this local synagogue. In verse 18, then the neighbors and Pharisees who don't believe he was born blind, they call the parents as witnesses. They ask two questions. Is this your son? How was it done? And we find out in verse 22 that the leaders of this synagogue had already agreed to kick out anyone who confesses Jesus as the Christ. So the parents answer the first question, yes, this is our son. But the second question they don't want to touch. He's of age, ask him. As the story progresses, uh, oh, uh, uh, the evidence is getting hard to get around. It is the same guy. His eyes have been opened. But this group doesn't want to believe, and so in verse 24 they say, we know this man is a sinner. And as the story progresses, they're less and less open to considering the evidence. And in verses 28 to 29, we see their basic assumption. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he came from. And this is really the crux of the matter. Of course, Jesus would agree with them. God did speak to Moses. Jesus says, uh, uh, he affirms God's word given through Moses. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. I'm in continuity with Moses' law. But the majority of this group of Pharisees want Jesus to fit into their understanding of Moses' law. And they say, we know what we know. We don't need to bother with the evidence. Either you fit into this framework or you're out. They say, we don't know where he came from. But in verse 4, Jesus has already said, and this is the pivotal issue, God sent me. That's where he came from, from God. God sent me as the light of the world. If Jesus is from God, then the revelation through Moses helps to make sense of Jesus. But Jesus also forces us to rethink the law of Moses. So that's why we have a Two Testament Christian scripture. The New Testament tells us about Jesus. We don't chuck out the Old Testament, but the two together make sense of each other. Now, it's a mistake for us to think that this is only a problem for first century Jews. Okay? We also get locked into our own systems that we're committed to, and we don't examine the evidence. Uh, I won't drive this point home too much, but, uh, but I'll, 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 I'll a little bit. Uh, you know, the age of enlightenment, the 17th and 18th century of modern thought, the whole narrative of the age of enlightenment is what? We have the light so we can see by reason uh, what's come before, the age of the church, that's all darkness. Get rid of dogma, pure reason brings light. And that rhetoric just gets ramped up in the contemporary period. It doesn't matter which side of political spectrum you're on. Uh, the very language of woke is saying, my eyes are open, I'm awake, Everybody else's eyes are closed. I have the truth. Uh, but the same thing of you know, the red pill, that kind of language, of I'm awake to reality, what's going on. Everybody else is sleeping. Uh, kids, you know, calling people non-playable characters. That's saying, they don't know. They're, just, they're off in the, in the bushes. That same rhetoric, that we're the ones who know what's really going on. It, it, it's through all of our rhetoric in the modern day. But Jesus is not saying, here's an idea or a political agenda that you've got to sign up to. It's a person. And I think we've got to get a hold of how offensive this is to understand why divisions come in, in Jesus' day. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. The only way to figure out what's going on in life is through me. I put light in the darkness. I light up the path so that your life can go well. 
Okay, if I claimed that as your pastor, you should chuck me out. It's an audacious thing to claim. And yet Jesus is the one who can say, I am the light of the world. Follow me. See where it ends, verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Jesus himself, not as an idea that you can have if you want, but keep it in private, but Jesus as a person, a real and living person who sees us, who looks at us, and calls us to worship him is the division. Indeed, it's a radical reversal. Those who are blind are given sight, their eyes are opened. Those who claim to see are blinded by the light. In verse 40, the very end, it's not that some Pharisees happen to be near Jesus, but John's phrase, I think, should be translated like this, some of the Pharisees who were with him. Some of the Pharisees are actually following him, and yet they say, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say we see, and your guilt remains. It's a theme running throughout John's gospel, that Christ brings division. At the end of chapter 6, some of the Disciples are so scandalized by him saying, I am the bread of life, you must eat my flesh, that they leave. And yet Peter and other disciples say, you have the words of life, where can we go if not with you? If you look back at the end of chapter 7, there's a debate between the temple leaders and the Pharisees about Jesus. Some are speaking up for him, others are condemning him. Likewise here, between the Pharisees, there's this division. But the fundamental division is not an idea, but this, a living and active person, Jesus who opens eyes so we can see him, who first sees us, the sent one, the anointed one, the creator. The division is this, are we ready to confess, Lord, I believe and worship? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you take note of us, that you see us. Indeed, you can even see our hearts. You know what's wrong in them. And nevertheless, you have compassion on us. You love us. You restore spiritual sight by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would do that work in our lives. Help us to see you ever more clearly. Give us insight into spiritual reality. And then, Lord, help us to model uh, or follow the model you have given us. Let us not treat people as problems, but to see them as individuals and to have compassion. Even as we turn now to worship, uh, just as this blind man worshipped, be at work in our hearts. Amen.